HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over 8,000 restaurants already using Bento Box today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com hrn today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com hrn. World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag Chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember, hashtag Chefs for Ukraine. Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Teyama, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every during supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi wame ni zakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my good guest. And my guest today is Martin Miller, who is the founding partner of the Kyoto Distillery in Japan. The distillery is the maker of the award-winning beautiful Japanese-style crafting called Kinobi. Before we, he co-founded the Kyoto Distillery in 2014, Martin has been in the spirit industry for a long time as a writer, importer, distributor, and consultant. Until this very recently, no one would have expected that Japanese-made gin would become popular nationally as well as globally, but the Kyoto Distillery initiated the current Japanese gin boom. 
Martin and his business partners, David and Noriko Crow, launched a Kinobi in October 2016, and popular brands like Roku, Sui, Nikka Coffee, and other craft labels quickly followed. As a result, in 2020, the sales of Japanese gin exceeded those of imported brands in the country. So, today we'll discuss why the British spirit writer ended up studying at the distillery in Kyoto, what is special about Japanese style gin, why the terror of Kyoto can produce a unique gin, the latest and future of Japanese style gin, and much, much more. But before we start, Japan News is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate the feedback. And、uh, just one more thing. Let me tell you about Heritage Radio Network uh, uh, or HRN's business membership tribe that is going right now. We all know that small businesses keep our communities vibrant. So, $500 HRN will、uh, shine light on your work and you will help sustain our mission to expand the way people think about food. So, this fundraiser will support not just my show, but the amazing HRN community of food podcasts. As a thank you for this tax deductible donation, your business will receive online mentions, social media posts, listings on our website, and more. So, if you are interested, please go to heritageradionetwork.org slash bids to become a business member today. That is heritageradionetwork.org slash biz. It's biz.、Uh, So, thank you so much. So, now let's start a conversation with Martin Miller. Hello, Martin. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on your show. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. So, I've been hearing your name for a long time, and this is my dream come true. So, thank you. <laughs> so, to get to know you, first of all,、uh, where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up? Uh, I was born in West London、uh, and growing up in、uh, a fairly grey city in the、uh, late 60s and early 70s. There was quite a lot of grey food around.、Um, but I had the、uh, benefit, I suppose, of being 100% Polish、uh, as far as my bloodlines are concerned. So both parents came over. And as a result, we had lots of pierogi and bigos and all those traditional hearty Polish foods. <laughs> Wow. Well, I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> right. So, okay. And then,、um, well, of course, Poland has great、uh, spirits、um, kind of irritants. <laughs> so, that's, that makes sense. You're in the business. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I heard that you used to be an editor of the whiskey magazine based in the UK. So, how did you get into the spirit business in the first place? Well, the.、Um... It gets back again to, to, to the influence of my parents, I think, because、uh, my dad had、uh, a relatively deprived childhood, as、uh, many young people did in the、uh, 40s and 50s. So when he was in the UK and when he、um, made a bit of money and established himself in a business and all that kind of thing,、uh, we were very fortunate in that we would drive around Italy and France and he would make up for some of the,、uh, those privations of his、uh, earlier life. By taking me and my brother and my mother to、uh, very nice restaurants, and we would eat fantastic regional、uh, food in France and Italy. And even from a very young age, I was fortunate enough to drink some of the exceptional wines、um, that you find around there. And I developed over time, I guess, 
what I would call an interest in the in the culture of alcohol. So not alcohol for alcohol's sake, not alcohol necessarily for its effects, but the part that uh, distilled spirits uh, play in in um, in our lives in humanity. I mean, you mentioned the Polish thing. There's a very big Polish community not far from you in Brooklyn that uh, I've 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 seen in, in my trips to New York, and a lot of those um, communities. Family still remains very important. Uh, big feast days are very important, and you know, vodka plays a role in that. So, uh, I find the whole aspect quite interesting. Mm, I, actually, that community is uh, close to my neighborhood, and I, I really admire. <laughs> <laughs> there, there we are, and right. sort of just warming to my theme, if I may, on that. So, I ended up. Um, I wanted to work in publishing after university and ended up uh, on a slightly circuitous route, but I worked uh, on a magazine about wine and then one, one about wines and spirits. And then we ended up launching Whiskey Magazine 20 odd years ago. Mm. So that's, that's how it all happened. Right. I'm glad I asked that question. It's so deep. And I think alcohol <laughs> tend to be viewed something like sin in some aspects. But I think if you look at the history and culture, uh, that's behind alcohol beverages is amazing. So it's like um, it's a craftsmanship and artisanal yeah. products. Yeah, and heritage. Heritage is important in these times that uh, everything changes and moves so quickly. Um, tradition and heritage has a, has a role to play. Mm. Uh, arguably, no more so than in in Japan, Akiko. <laughs> right. Okay. So, and and you have an impressive, wide-ranging background in the street business in the UK as well as um, in Japan. Uh, before you founded the Kyoto Distillery with your business partners David Crow and Noriko Kakuda Crow. So, how mm-hmm. did you get to know them and start working together? When Whiskey Magazine was launched twenty odd years ago, we uh, wanted to find partners in various territories to come up with. Uh, local language uh, additions. So uh, Japan was one of the areas we targeted uh, in terms of having a thriving interest in Scotch whiskey and other whiskies, obviously Japanese whiskey too. Uh, and also we wanted to organise some big tasting events called Whiskey Live. So the very first Whiskey Live took place in Tokyo in 2000, I think. But I went to Japan for the first time the year before that looking to find a partner. And uh, that's how David and Noriko and I started working together. We we launched the Japanese language version of Whiskey Magazine, started these tasting events and bonded over a few drams of whiskey, as you can imagine, and a a shared love of Japanese culture, uh, a love of rugby union. And um, yeah, that's why we've managed to work so closely for the last 20 plus years. I think being 6,000 miles apart also helps. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we're not in each other's pockets all day, every day. Um, but uh, yes, uh, I, I've, been, I've been blessed to have found uh, such dedicated, hardworking and talented partners. Mm, right. So the key is uh, the comfortable distance as well as the rugby, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. And, and David and Noriko, they are importers, right? They have an importing company. Yeah, at the, at, at the time they had a uh, an importing company. I think it was, uh, became the largest of Japan's independent uh, distributors. And it, it was largely whiskey. It started off with whiskey, but they also worked with brands such as Brewdog. So they were uh, working hard on the craft beer revolution out there. 
and um, some of the craft gins that uh, hit Japan, they were the first people to bring in. So I think of Chase and I think of Sipsmith. Mm. Uh, also, they worked with Fever Tree. So a very solid grounding in, in uh, opening the eyes and the perspectives, perhaps, of Japanese uh, consumers to these exciting new uh, drinks from overseas. Mm, right. Sounds like they have really a good sense of what's valuable. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. I think, uh, you know, pe- people love stories, as you know, and finding these products that were not just sort of mass produced in the factory, but actually had people making them by hand and uh, were, uh, the, 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 it's been a very dynamic 20 years in spirits. And uh, as far as Japan is concerned, I say David and Noriko have been at the, the forefront of that. They're now no longer uh, involved in that business because uh, the Kyoto Distillery has become all-encompassing for for the three founders, as you can imagine. Mm, right. Okay. So, uh, so now let's talk about gin. So, first mm-hmm. of all, uh, we're going to get into Kinobi in a moment. But uh, what are the main ingredients of gin? This is a very basic of gin. And how do you make gin? So, in its most basic form, gin is. Uh, essentially flavoured vodka. It's flavoured with juniper. So it's a white spirit um, and the predominant flavour, according to the laws of the European Union, has to be juniper. That's that's it. So it's juniper-flavoured white spirit. Again, if you go back to this uh, cultural aspect internationally of, of spirits in Scandinavia, uh, a domestic spirit there is called Akavit, which is basically gin but it's flavored with um it's flavored with uh caraway rather than being flavored flavored with with juniper uh polish vodkas the most normal ones the most ones people normally associate with poland are clean uh neutral not tasting of anything but very many of them are flavored with everything from lemon to pepper to to what have you so it's a flavored white spirit but with the predominant flavor being juniper is that clear enough i think so (laughs) (laughs) and then in terms of how it's made well there are various sort of definitions of of different types of gin but basically you have juniper you have normally a selection of other uh flavorings which we tend to call botanicals, um, and you distill them all together to create something that is redolent of these flavours. Mm. So the, the most basic gin, you have a, a, you have a list of approved natural or artificial flavourings, and they can be mixed, so like compounded, just mixed with the raw spirit. Um, the next level up is called a distilled gin, where these uh, that has to be made in a traditional still and you're redistilling these natural flavours. And then the one that most people know is a London dry gin, where, again, the botanicals are all being distilled together with this neutral spirit. So their flavours carry through into the finished product. Mm. That's as basic as I can make it. Okay, <laughs> that's clear. All right. <laughs> So uh, we'll just take a quick break here so that we can just dive in later. I mean, really deep. <laughs> so uh, so when we come back, we'll discuss how Kinobi is made to reflect the unique Japanese climate and geography. So please stay with us. So do I. I brought my tapes. I'll just accept it in.
This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a restaurant marketing and commerce platform that helps you get discovered, make more money, and engage your diners so that you can deliver great hospitality, both in person and online. A Brooklyn fan favorite, Reunion is truly a love letter to Tel Aviv. Opening its doors in 2014, customers adore this light-filled cafe for its authentic Israeli comfort food, including shakshuka, falafel, and a variety of mezes. Reunion is one of over 8,000 restaurants that leverages Bento Box to power their digital front door, including their website, online ordering, event management, and more. Visit getbento.com slash HRN to learn more and get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash HRN. Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the new podcast, The One Recipe, from the team behind The Splendid Table. This pod is all about that one recipe that you lean on. The one you share with friends, the one you make when you need a little love, and the one you know will work every single time. Every week, I talk with chefs and gifted cooks from all over the world about their one and the story behind it. We're here to help you build your kitchen library one dish at a time. Follow the one recipe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Aki Kotayama, and my guest today is Martin Miller, who is the founding partner of the Kyoto Distillery based in Japan. The distillery is a maker of the unique, award-winning, beautiful craft gin called the Kinobi. So let's talk about Kinobi. So what is the concept of Kinobi gin? Having um, worked in the um, worked with Japanese whiskies uh, internationally, it became apparent to us, to me and David Noriko, that Japan's reputation for premium spirits was really sort of unparalleled, really, really peerless. And when we finished our adventure in Japanese whiskey, which went very well for 15 years for us, we thought there was an opportunity to do something new. We thought there was a chance to take our love of Japan, our knowledge of Japanese premium spirits and those wonderful flavours and aromas that Japan offers and combine that all into this dynamic wave of contemporary gins that was uh, happening all around the world. So in its purest form, if you said to me, what is Kinobi? I'd say it's the the spirit of Kyoto. It's Kyoto distilled into a bottle. Um, And it's the first Japanese contemporary gin. It's the only one I think at the moment that has a distillery dedicated to the making of gin. Um, So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Mm, Right. By the way, Kinobi means the beauty of the season, right? It does indeed. Thank you for that little prompt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it does. And the thinking there is the the botanicals grow at different times of year and we harvest them all at the shun, at the very peak of the season, to capture the essence of these wonderful, wonderful flavours. Right. Another thing is that the Kyoto is known for great salt water so and you know the it's a famous sake brewing area too because of mm-hmm. the beautiful water and especially shimi where your distillery is located so um yeah it's just amazing um i really want to dig in more into what exactly you have in your bottle but mm-hmm. um so why did you decide to open distillery in kyoto um i think 
we felt very strongly that Kyoto had this wonderful uh, image as the cultural and craft capital of Japan. Obviously, it has a very different feel to Tokyo. And the calm, quiet, the shrines, the temples, the um, generations old businesses that are creating just one thing of excellence, whether that's a copper tea caddy or whether it's making wall hangings. It's just, um, it, it really conveyed this image of, of beauty that we wanted to capture. Mm, right. Yeah, so uh, listeners, whoever have been to Kyoto, you can really see what <laughs> much it means. <laughs> it's it's kind of completely different kind of different universe surrounded by all those. I, I don't know how many thousands of shrines and temples exactly, but uh, it, it has a different kind of aura throughout the city. So, yeah, really, that makes sense. Um, so... The, you, you mentioned, um, you know, different type of gin, that's the London dry gin, but mm -hmm. what type of gin is Kinobi? It's difficult to talk about your, 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 um, your babies in such glowing terms, but we, we felt that um, Kinobi created a whole new kind of gin. So that's why we call it a Kyoto dry gin. Obviously, there is no legal definition of what Kyoto dry gin might be, but we felt that this was so much of its place um, that, that it deserved its own uh, denomination almost, if you will. Um, the objective was, if anyone put their, their nose in a glass of Kinobi, they would immediately know that this is a gin because of those juniper notes, but a gin with very distinct Japanese accents. And that's where the local botanicals come in. And I'm sure you're going to quiz me about those. <laughs> okay. So... Um... Well, let's talk about the ingredients of Kinobi. Mm -hmm. And so what are there in your bottle and uh, why did you choose them? Okay, so what we have is the, the botanicals themselves. So we have juniper and we have orris root, which you find in many, many gins. Both of those are imported because they're not grown sufficiently uh, in sufficient quantities uh, or commercially uh, in Japan. So I put my hand up and say, of our 11 botanicals, those two are imported. But then the remainder, we source from as close to Kyoto as we can. And we work with a lot of farmers directly. We have, we, we liaise with farmers, and I can tell you some more stories about that uh, in, in a moment. But we have Hinoki wood chips, so Japanese cypress wood, which adds a little bit of spice. Um, we have Gyokuru tea. We work with a uh, tea blender called Hori Shichiyemen uh, in Uji. It's a couple of hundred years old. Where I think we're working with the eighth generation there. We have uh, ginger, yuzu, lemon, sancho pepper, red shiso leaves, kinome, and bamboo leaf. So you'll recognize a lot of these as being culinary botanicals, which means it's quite fun when we taste Kenobi with chefs because they get excited about some of the combinations they can uh, put together when they're tasting Kenobi with certain, when they're combining with certain food items. Mm. And what's 
pretty unusual about our production process is these 11 botanicals we divide into six different categories and we macerate so we soak the botanicals in spirit we macerate these six separately we distill them separately and then we blend them all together and this uh, laborious and inefficient system that we have this proprietary system is intended to get the very most out of each of these uh, flavorings these ingredients these botanicals we kind of think it's worth going that extra step I think if I could say um, it's the difference between buying you know if, if you're if you're going to a tailor and you had a suit made to measure every single measurement would be about you whereas if you just bought something off the off the peg it's one size fits all and going that extra mile is a, is a way that we we work with our gin just to make sure that everything is as exact as it can be it's all about precision that uh, that cliche about japanese attention to detail is embodied in the way we we make um kinobi mm, right Two things. That example mm -hmm. of making suits, that's very British. <laughs> I <like> it. <laughs> and uh, so it's interesting, right? So that's what you mean by Kyoto dry gin. Because yeah. um, it reminds me of Japanese whiskey, which um, is characteristically, it's really a blend. It's an mm -hmm. art of blend. And mm -hmm. what you're doing is that art. Uh, practice for art by blending the best of it, everything. Absolutely. And and the blending of Kenobi is a really important part of it. Absolutely spot on. Yes. Mm. And just to, to, you know, if the suit analogy was, was too strong, let me just put something another way. Uh, and I'm going to use two botanicals for this example that we do not use. But if, for example, you were making a gin and you were using, let's say, rose petals, and let's say black peppercorns, the fragility of the rose petal and the sort of bullet-like uh, hardness of the peppercorn means you wouldn't want to treat them together. You wouldn't want to treat them the same way, which is a way that some people make gin. They put everything together in a basket and put it in the still and boil up the still. And of course, you're not going to get the best out of things that way. Mm, right, they're going to fight instead of try to um, exactly, enhance exactly. each other. Right? Precisely, precisely right. Uh, two other elements we use, and they're not, people don't think of them as being ingredients generally, but, but we do. One is the rice spirit. Um, we tasted a lot of neutral spirits. So rice ones, we tasted some made with rye, some with uh barley, some with molasses, other grains. Um, and the rice spirit one was by far the most expensive, but we felt it had the most interesting mouthfeel. It was much softer. You know, rye can be quite, you know, from drinking rye whiskey when you go out in Brooklyn, you know, it can be spicy and, and quite peppery. <laughs> but this rice-based spirit is, is soft. It has a slight sweetness to the extent that I know people who don't like gin martinis because it's a very bold expression of a gin you know straight out of the freezer straight into a glass and often that sort of rye base or something is just too assertive for them but they will happily drink kinobi martinis because it's got that accessibility and the softness of the rice spirit to begin with 
obviously on top of that is the the cultural significance of using rice so that's important mm. and then uh, another point i'd like to make if i may is and you've touched on this is the use of fushimi water we use this wonderful water to uh, reduce the strength of uh, kinobi before we put it in a bottle uh, and we drive to uh, our friends uh, sake kura uh, once a week and we fill up our little van and um the water comes from a very deep borehole and it's it's delicious water it's not like just turning on the tap and um getting water coming through the pipes so uh, we think of that as an ingredient as well mm, right well it really makes sense to use uh, rice as the base grain because um traditionally spirits made in japan uh, shochu um mm-hmm. really rice is common as well uh, not as popular as a potato but uh, it's definitely there Mm. And uh, yeah, I really think that rice is almost, uh, it's kind of the symbolic grain of the whole Japanese terroir. So it really makes sense. And I think my impression, like you said, yeah, it's like a roundness, right? It's very uh, forgiving and almost like coats everybody mm. um, happy with that delicate um, botanicals. So, yeah. Okay, so... Um, so how do you describe the taste of kinobi and how unique is it based on your rich and profound experience of tasting <laughs> great gin in the past? Well, I, so I, I think it's a, it, it's a classic gin, but with this exceptional um, Japanese accent again, I find it uh, accessible uh, in the mouth. And I think we end up with these wonderful balanced almost nuanced botanicals coming through. You know, you, I mentioned that we um, distill in six, we create six separate distillates. It's sometimes extraordinarily rewarding uh, when I travel around doing tastings with bartenders and, and other people because we have these six distillates themselves. So if you do the tasting, you can see the character of the ginger as it comes through which is a single distillate, or the citrus element, which is the yuzu and the lemon. But then when you put everything together, you can see how we build it. It's back to that blending idea of yours. It's, it's about how it builds together. And um, I, wouldn't, I, I don't really like the word delicate when you're talking about a spirit that's 45.7% ABV. But it has subtlety and nuance. And I think also that nuance is pretty much what I'd associate with with Kyoto. It has many depths. You know, you can spend time... 98% of gin is just drunk as a gin and tonic. If you have some Kinobi in a glass on its own or as a martini, it unveils many, many layers. It has that sort of, that depth, which is why we go to such great length to make it in the way we do because it keeps giving of itself and showing you something else and showing you something different. Mm, right. So lucky I got a chance to taste Kinobi and it was very, very unique. And uh, I think, for example, you added yuzu. So there's a lemon, mm-hmm. but yuzu is kind of making that citrusy flavor kind of like a deeper, more nuanced. And it, it's there. It's even if it's that, you know, strong alcohol this flavor is really distinctive and uh the ginger notes like the spiciness is there too and uh it's interesting that matcha's typical flavor 
experience of bittersweet umami in one shot. That's definitely there too. And it's, you know, a lot of gin tend to have juniper in front, like in the middle. But this one is really elegant in the background. So I really enjoyed that too. So, and also the,、um, I happened to compare、uh, another popular brand, Santori Roku.、Um, that's another Japanese botanical based、um, great gin. But、uh, I really found the Kinobi structure is so beautiful. And,、uh, and I think、uh, Roku is more feminine. So that's masculine feminine. The kind of contrast is really,、um, I was surprised how Japan created this amazing culture. <laughs> which I never expected. Well, thank you very much for your kind words about Kinobi. That's really, it's, it's always gratifying to hear people have enjoyed it. And I think you hit again upon one of the very key words, which for me is elegance. Again, elegance is something I personally associate with Kyoto, and it's great that that comes through in the glass of gin.、Mm. So thank, thank you for your kind words. Right. And then and the bottle is kind of like a beautiful,、uh, gray, clear. Gray, which is almost like、uh, very romantic, very sexy. And <laughs> the bottle design, is, so I don't know who designed it. This is an amazing bottle, too. So, congratulations. Thank you. So, the color of the glass is called Sumi, which is obviously that, that, that smoky、uh, color to which you refer. And it's interesting how it looks different in different surroundings. So,、um, It, it frosts really nicely if you take it out of the freezer, but if it's backlit, it can look sort of green.、Uh, at times, it can look black. It depends on,、uh, on all sorts of environmental um, uh, uh, influences.、Mm, right. Okay, so who's actually distilling、uh, at the Kyoto Distillery? We,、uh, so, Alex Davies is our head distiller. Uh, he came over to work for us even before we built the distillery. We、uh, identified that we wanted to work with him because he's an extraordinarily ta- talented distiller. He's one of the finest、uh, distillers of his generation. He previously worked at Chase and at Cotswolds. And,、uh, but the opportunity of him and his、uh, then new wife to move to Japan proved、uh, very, very attractive.、Uh, and it was a bit of a leap of faith. Because there was no distillery, there was just an idea. And、uh, you know, Japan is, as I said earlier, 6,000 miles away. So it's quite a long way to go for a, for a new job. But there's slightly more to it than that. I mean, I guess in an ideal world, I would like our distillery to have a Japanese distiller. That kind of makes sense. But because we were the first contemporary Japanese gin, there were no. Japanese gin distillers. So you have to start somewhere. And this builds on to the next point, which is it's all about team. You know, we kind of、uh, we have a it's about east meets west, perhaps. So <clears throat> gin is, a, is considered to be a, a, a Western spirit, but obviously we're making it in Kyoto. And so you can't get much more Eastern than that. And we have people from mixed backgrounds, mixed ages, mixed language abilities. There is a guy、uh, who's been hugely、uh, supportive and, and helpful. <coughs> Excuse me. And we call him our technical advisor, but that doesn't really do him justice. And his name is Mas Onishi. And he is a gentleman who has retired.、Um, and he is a legend of Japanese distilling. So, on the one hand, we have this young, 
recently turned 30 flame-haired Welsh Tyro distiller. And on the other hand, we have this perfectly poised, um, authoritative figure who knows everything there is to know about Japanese spirits. And when you put them together, you end up with Kenobi. I think Kenobi would have been very different if it had been just one of those people working on the original uh, recipe or interpreting the brief that David Noriko and I gave them. But we have some exciting young up-and-coming distillers uh, learning an awful lot from Alex. Mm, right. Well, I think uh, Japanese whiskey um, was taught by Scotch people. <laughs> so mm. that totally makes sense that you have, uh, <laughs> you know, Western distiller in the first place. You have to have some great sensei in the first place. So, and uh, so Kinobi has become very popular both in and outside Japan. So why do you think people like it? Um, in and outside Japan? That's a very good question. Um, I, I'm completely biased. I think it's an absolutely delicious gin. And I think once people get a chance to taste it, they are very keen to uh, make sure they always have some at home <laughs> in the freezer or on their, or on their drink shelf. Um, mm. I think when, when we launched, which was, as you said, uh, October 16, we launched in Japan first, and it immediately picked up some traction with the international hotel bars, for example, in, in Tokyo, and also some of those extraordinary small cocktail bars like um, I don't know, Bar High Five, for example, or Rocking Chair in, um, in Kyoto. And I think the reason it had such a strong, there was such a strong response to it straight away, is it was very exciting for Japan to have its first proper flagship gin in a modern idiom. And also it was quite easy to recommend to people when they came in. So if some American businessmen pre-pandemic were in a hotel in Tokyo and wanted a, a, chat, a recommendation from the bartender, here, look, here's this amazing new Japanese gin. So it's, it's, a, very, uh, it's a very simple concept to get over to someone. Gin, which is mm. seen as being a very much a Western spirit, but with the, uh, the allure the cachet that Japanese spirits can offer, it becomes a, um, a compelling proposition. Mm, right. Okay, I think timing was perfect too. So Japanese whiskey started to be very popular suddenly and people mm. started to pay attention more to Japanese spirits. So mm. yeah, it's an amazing, perfect timing too. So, and I heard that you work with Craftsman in Kyoto, right? So could you give us some examples? Yeah, um, so I will very, very happily. Um, I sometimes think of farmers as being craftsmen as too. I mean, anyone who works with their hands. So I just want to, if we talk, we touched on ginger earlier. And I just want to give a little culinary uh, flavour to this. When you cook with ginger, it's the same as when you cook with chilli. You can't necessarily identify how hot it's going to be just by looking at it. And it's a bit sometimes like playing Russian roulette. You know, if you've ever had a plate of Padron peppers and you keep waiting for the one that's going <laughs> to blow your mouth out. Um, so, so there's a volatility in, in ginger that is similar to that sort of um, uh, situation that I just tried to explain. And so when we were distilling the ginger, which we get from one man who has two fields dedicated in his farm just to growing ginger for us, we casually mentioned to him that you know sometimes this volatility was difficult from us because for us because from batch to batch there might be a slight variation in how piquant 
the gin is, mm. what level of spice is coming through. And he said, okay, leave it with me. I have an idea. And now he harvests the ginger that we use in Kinobi and he matures it in a cave dug into a hill uh, that his grandfather dug behind his house. So the ginger spends time in an environment that is dark and this um, allows it to lose some of that volatility, some of the rougher edges. And as a result of this conversation and this, you know, this, this Kaizen sort of approach, we're always looking for incremental improvement. As a result, all the ginger that we use is, is, is more uniform in how we can use it. So um, we don't get any surprises of <laughs> a particular, particular batch being hotter than another one. So it's that level of understanding with our, with our farmers before I talk about the craftsmen. Uh, same with the yuzu, because and I mentioned that we work with a, a specific tea grower, but, but on the yuzu, we, we go to Mrs. Tanaka's farm and the whole distillery team goes up in November or December, whenever, you know, however, whenever the, the season is at its peak, and we pick our own yuzu. And we pick the yuzu, we, we drive it back to the distillery, and all our bottling ladies and the team stand around with the peelers, and we peel the yuzu on the spot. So we have complete quality control, complete involvement, a complete sort of collaborative effort. It's not a question of going on the internet finding some yuzu oil from some wholesaler that, you know, could be anywhere and placing an order. You know, there is a real community involvement in, in, in making this product. And that makes us very, very proud. And then in the collaboration stakes, you talked about the bottle. That's made by a company called Sakai Glass, who are not in Kyoto. They're closer to Osaka. But it's a business that's over 150 years old. And we are constantly talking to them about, uh, you know, ways we can um, create new and exciting uh, colours, for example, for different iterations of Kinobi. I only sent you the, uh, the classic core Kinobi, but there are others that uh, I will look at getting you to taste because you enjoyed it so much. Mm. I would imagine that the most significant one is we work with a Karakami Atelier run by Toto-san called Kira Karacho. And that dates back to the 1600s. They have a collection of something like 600 woodblocks. And even the naming of Kinobi, the beauty of the seasons and the design you see on the bottle, the design comes from an ancient Edo period woodblock. Mm. And I'm just going to build on that for a moment if, if we have time, because... Working with people is the most important thing in, in, in my life. You know, finding like-minded individuals and having a common purpose. And so when we came up with our very first um, extension, so Kino Tea, because I'll take you back to when we do these tastings of the six, six distillates, Always the most popular one with Japanese bartenders was the tea one because they understand tea, they can taste tea, and, and they're quite excited about how we've created this. So the first limited edition we made, which then became a you know one of our core products, was Kino Tea. When we told our partners we were going to make Kino Tea, firstly, at Hori Shichimen, they came up with a bespoke blend of Gyokuru and Tensha Tea, which they felt was suitably uh, premium to go into this new product. So that was a collaborative element. Secondly, Kira Karacho made their first 
new woodblock print design for over 80 years purely to illustrate our tea bottle. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. So sounds like you're making gin, but you're doing something more than... It's like you said, it's more of a kind of... You're enjoying that whole um, network oh, yeah, building yeah. and just living with them, basically. Yeah, we put a lot into it. Uh, yeah, we, uh, David Noriko and I have been around, as you as you said at the start of the program, we've been around spirits for quite a long time. And we've done some really interesting things uh, together and separately. But it feels like we're putting everything that we've learned, everything that interests us, everything that we know into into this you know, into one bottle of gin. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. Right. Wow. So I am, I'm envious. I wish I could just <laughs> spend some time with you guys and it was really like celebration or this um, artisanal uh, mindset. Everything's so good about the history, like we said, um, in, in heritage of farming to growing things. It's like emerging different cultures in one one bottle so wow that's amazing um okay so uh we almost never heard of japanese gin until very recently uh but japanese gin gin became very popular very quickly and kinobi is known for being the initiator of the current japanese question boom so that's unquestionable so how many japanese made gin brands are there in the market right now to be honest, I, I, I struggle to keep up. I think I probably lost count at about 40. Um, but there's, um, if, there's an element maybe of people jumping on a bandwagon sometimes, I think. So some of these gins are not necessarily gins as a gin aficionado might understand them. Some of these might be from shochu producers reading in the trade papers about how well gin sells internationally and then distilling their shochu with juniper berries and calling that gin. So I, I, I don't know, it's, it's too hard to keep up, especially from, from, from the UK. Uh, but certainly a, a handful of, of products uh, of gins that will do well. But we, 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 we tend not to uh, categorise ourselves like that. We just think about Kenobi. We can't really control what else is going on in the sector. <laughs> mm, right. Well, I heard that uh, uh, between 2015 and 2020, uh, the gin market grew by 25%. That's ridiculously quick. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, and also um, there used to be that the 75% of gin in Japan used to be uh, imported France, but now it's uh, 40% or even more now. So, yeah, it's just amazing how things are changing quickly. And how do you predict the future of Japanese gin in Japan and in the global market? I think there's still plenty of headroom for growth for gin in, in certain territories. I think certain markets are already pretty mature, like the UK and Germany. and uh, but, but Japan is really just at the beginning of its, its gin journey, as you know. I think the US is such an important market for spirits. For, for non-American spirits, they look to the US as um, uh, like, like, like the Holy Grail um, because it's so... Uh, prestigious and significant and the volumes there and so many of the best bartenders are there and it's so exciting and dynamic and fast moving and I don't think necessarily that ultra premium gin has developed as as 
far or as quickly as it might do in the USA. I know there's lots of really good gin being made in the US and I know that uh, many brands have got good penetration and have had historically. Uh, I think there's still scope for more um, more interesting uh, market uh, penetration in the USA. Mm-hmm. And then there are then then of course there's places like uh, uh, India and and of course China with these uh, emerging uh, middle classes and uh, also very uh, dynamic um, interest in in uh, taste and flavour and 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 what's going on. So I don't really have a crystal ball. Uh, I just think there's there's still quite a long way that uh, gins can go. Mm, I I agree. And this uh, the the word crafts craft everything craft whiskey craft mm. beer of course those things really mean. A lot to everybody nowadays, especially for this whole, you know, ecological concerns and everything like tradition uh, versus mass market. And I think the spirits market um, in the world, they're always chasing something new, right? So oh, yeah. I think Japanese gin really hit the spot. I think it's going to be uh, something interesting, at least for a while. And Kinobi is going to stay as classic. That's my uh, crystal ball reading. Well. That that works for me. Um, I think you're, the, the 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 key for me, of course, is is the um, b- b- because there are more and more countries making gin and more and more cities making gin in those countries. You need to have a point of difference, and I think the best point of difference for the for for Kinobi and for other Japanese gins is those um, tastes and flavors. Because certainly in the UK, and I know in France, for example most exciting restaurant openings that are taking place, and this is also true in the US, I think, are Japanese or at a push Pan-Asian or or something like that. And I think there is still so much to discover for uh, the general consumer in in the taste of yuzu, in the difference between red shizo and red uh, and uh, green shizo leaf in in, in all the, the the beauty of the um, tastes and aromas mm. it's, it's it's why japanese cuisine does so well you know why people get excited by yuzu sauces or ponzu or whatever it's it's um because these are exciting vibrant uh flavors that um really manifest themselves well in a crystal clear well-made cleanly delineated gym Mm, right. Okay. So, uh, what are your plans and dreams? <laughs> <laughs> my 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 dream is to uh, live as long as the average Japanese does, and uh, <laughs> with a with a Kinobi Martini in my hand. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think that that goes together. And <laughs> let's, hope, let's hope so. I have, I have uh, in my greenhouse, I have two yuzu trees and I had uh, seven fruits last year. So uh, my dreams are to uh, increase my harvest every year. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that's amazing. Yuzu is very hard to grow. So it is. We, um, we, the, the most gratifying moment you'll understand was peeling uh the skin of a yuzu that i'd grown in my own greenhouse to use as a garnish in my kinobi martini that was a special moment and um, other than that my wife made lots of uh, yuzu marmalade so we could enjoy it all through the year <laughs> oh wow right so homemade marmalade that's very very british too i love also that. <laughs> british yeah also british yeah 
Right. And you have different labels, uh, the Kinobi uh, Jin and also Kinobi D, like you mentioned, and different kinds of products. So do you want to mention those things? Because I was curious how you come up with those different type of flavors. We have um, no lack of creativity in our, in our team. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sometimes the challenge is reining in. Uh, much of that creativity and, and, and retaining focus. So with we have Kinobi, Kino T, which we've discussed, and Kinobi Say, Say meaning might or power, and that's our interpretation of a, a Navy strength gin. Often people pour far too much tonic into a gin and tonic, and you know we talk about the delicacy or nuance that sometimes can be lost with too much sugar from a tonic or too much quinine. So I did want us to have something that was a little broader in the shoulder, higher in strength, um, to, to be able to withstand the, um, the onslaught of tonic water. So that's what Kinobisei does. Kinobi, Kinobisei and Kino Tea are our three core products, and they're all available in the US. Other than that, we, uh, we do lots of limited editions. We have so much fun in our lives. So, for example, we worked, we, we, um, David Noriko and I had all bought all the casks of Karuizawa when the distillery closed, which was this sort of uh, legendary Japanese single malt, which commands the most extraordinary prices like you wouldn't believe. But we have some casks and we put Kenobi into those casks and try and get that wonderful balance between the, the DNA of our spirit and that influence of the wonderful uh, Karuizawa whiskey in the sherry cask. These things are very limited by their very nature. We also put Kenobi in champagne barrique uh, or Isla whiskey casks. We just have an awful lot of fun, but I'm not going to list them all because... Uh, they kind of sell out really, really quickly, and I wouldn't want to frustrate or disappoint anyone. <laughs> there, right. there is one more, which is uh, which I'll mention, which is Kino To, which is like an old Tom. So back in the day, before the continuous still was um, devised by Ines Coffee, people, uh, the distilling of alcohol was relatively rudimentary, and people would add sugar or sweeteners to make it more uh, palatable. And this is the Old Tom style. And we've made Japan's very first Old Tom, but we use a wonderful, lightly pressed cane sugar from Okinawa, which has this extreme salinity as well as the sweetness. So you get this salty, sweet gin. It's, a, it's an extraordinary thing. Look out for that one. Mm, right. So Okinawa cocktail sugar has also minerals and yeah. uh, it's really a pure cleaner flavor and absolutely. richer. So yeah. that's a very special ingredient. Right? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Okay. So uh, so where can we, our listeners find uh, all those Kinobi, Jane to everything else? Um, I mean, the whole labels because we have listeners in 190 countries. So, 190 uh, countries. I looked up and this whole data... I didn't even know there were 190 countries. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> yeah, but there's actual camps. I really looked into each name. So, yeah, yeah the downloads there. Well, you'll, 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 you'll understand that because of the nature of what we do and the freshness of our ingredients and how we make it, we, we don't make millions and millions and millions of bottles. So you won't find it in supermarkets or, or cash and carries. Um, I think if you look for specialist bottle shops or, or drinks retailers, they should be able to help you. 
Mm. Uh, I think in, in the US, places like uh, Total Wines and Beverages are more used to carry it. Um, but then close to you is Park Avenue Liquors. I'm sure they'll have some. Right. So you don't ship uh, online or anything? <laughs> no, we, we work through our through our uh, distribution network uh, all around the world. I mean, we're in 35 countries now. So not, not mm. 190, but 35. And um, yeah. Right. We can't ship directly from the distillery. Well, by the way, uh, our listeners can visit the distillery or is... Well, the distillery is very small, very cramped, very busy, uh, and is not an ideal uh, visitor hotspot. But what <laughs> we have, what we have uh, opened is a brand house called House of Kenobi, which is a converted and refurbished machia in Kyoto. And in there, you can have tutored tastings, you can enjoy cocktails, you can buy some of the rarer limited editions. Um, unfortunately, because of the travel situation over the last two years, last time I went to House of Kenobi, it was still a building site with a concrete floor. So uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I've seen photographs of people enjoying themselves and I'm, I'm very keen to get out there myself. Right. I think it's easier now, like Japanese It is now, yeah. yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's surprising yeah. that you have never been there. That's funny. I know. But, <laughs> right. Okay. So where can we find your updates uh, online on, on social media? Well, the first place to go is uh, probably our website, which is www.kyotodistillery.jp. There's a Kyoto Distillery Facebook page, which uh, should be easy to find as well. Plenty of updates on there and lots of information. Uh, and we're trying to grow our Instagram presence, um, which is also as the Kyoto Distillery at the moment. Unless you're in Japan, in which case it's mm. kinobi.jp. Right. Okay. Well, so, uh, well, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, we look forward to... Whatever you create in the future, it's just really amazing. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been lovely talking to you, and I'm very grateful for your kind words about Kenobi. And uh, next time I find myself across the, uh, across the Atlantic, I'll uh, drop you a line and we'll go for a Kenobi martini somewhere in Brooklyn. Oh, that sounds perfect. Yeah, so uh, maybe in Greenpoint, that's the Polish area. So perfect. Be It'll perfect. be my treat. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much. And listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japaneeds at theheritagewilderness.network.org or akikotema.com. Japanese is a weekly program and always available at heritagewilderness.network.org as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Matt Patson, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Japanese is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? 
Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.